Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Drunken Tomes, the podcast where we do nothing but read and talk about what we've read. Um, I'm your host, Caleb Schweiss. Caleb Craig. And Cameron. And Zach. Yeah. So today, guys, we're going to be talking, well, most of us are going to be talking about Musashi, the 51-hour epic that Caleb Craig hoisted upon everyone after he had already read the book. I didn't already read it. I had four hours left. Yeah, so you stopped Mm. reading it at the best part, is what you're telling me. Pretty much, yeah. To wait for for us. Hmm. That that seems like a pretty douchey move there, Craig. No, no, I wanted them to read it. And then, yeah, we don't have a an opening for this show yet, but if you do want to design something, you listeners, for us to have at the beginning of this episode, feel free to do so. Yeah. We're not going to say no to free stuff. Never. We'd never say no to free things. Um, we love free things. That's right. That's right. And then we also apologize for the auto quality as none of us are in the same room. Yeah, so we ordered some mics and we're going to start remotely recording for a while while we're doing this uh distancing stuff so that we can avoid the potential spread of this virus um so it's gonna sound like shit for the last episode you listened to and then also this episode um so sorry but we're gonna try fixing it next time with multiple recorders and we'll just throw all the tracks together once we're done so that'll be good and just so once we get that done hopefully it'll sound a lot better but you know suck it up so this is a japanese epic novel written by aiji yoshikawa about the life and deeds of the legendary legendary swordsman miyamoto musashi so originally as was commonplace in these older books this uh thing was released as a serial in the japanese newspaper asahi Shimbun between 35, 1935 and 1939 and um, we listened to the audiobook through Audible um, which honestly excellently translated probably the best translated thing I've ever like listened to or read yeah I wouldn't know it was translated or you know not anything of it yeah yeah the narrator for it was really good too because he you know obviously speaks Japanese so you could like say the the names of things and stuff in a way that didn't make people cringe. Yeah. Um at least I think it was no, yeah, in the thirties it would have been it would have had to have been translated, huh? I don't think they would have had a newspaper back then with English. It just just it's so it's so well done that it's hard to tell, like Cameron was saying, like it just it seems like it was just written in English. It's really impressive. Um, all things considered. I mean, if they were to print a story in the newspaper today, it's probably going to be in Japanese. Yeah, well, so yeah, like probably. They, for their own domestic newspapers that they post English articles. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, great production value. I think the narrator did a pretty good job in the book. Um, listening to it didn't really take anything away i know there are occasions where listening to something is 
kind of not the best way to obtain right, the info. because you're leaning on the narrator's interpretation of it, too. Yeah, there's that, and then there's also, um, sometimes or if it's like a if it's like a philosophy book or, you know, or the one I like to use a lot is, uh, the hero with a thousand faces. If it's something like that, like it's a lot of really big ideas in like a small amount of time. And it's like, wow, Oh, that was really cool. And then suddenly you're like four ideas late. You know, so there, there's nothing <laughs> like that. Yeah. And there, there's nothing like that. And then it, it's even more of an impressive story arc considering that it was a serial novel released, you know, between a four right. year period. It's a very it has a very it, strong narrative throughout throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I was gonna ask if it if it felt episodic to you reading through it. Kind of. It so Craig and I were sort of comparing it to the Conan books, but I said that uh I messaged him and I said if Conan is um any sort of like normal uh normal sitcom kind of a thing then musashi is seinfeld where yeah it's a sitcom and they all kind of go back to their original places but there is a through a through line that goes through the entire series that is the story and what happens to each character whereas like conan is like ed ed and eddie you know it's like it's just everyone goes back to normal every single time or the simpsons you know everybody goes back to where they were every single time and there's rarely any continuity between episodes Musashi kind of had a similar feel to Conan because a lot of times it would start out with either unknown characters or describing characters that we do know, but we're not sure who it is yet, you know? Um, and that's exactly how all of the Conan books start out. They just start out with, like, rando side characters doing random things, and then something horrible happens to at least one of them, and then it opens up. And so it, it's it's similar to that. So it kind of has a serial feel to it, but it's also extremely well put together, and everything fits perfectly within it. So it's yeah. really it's really impressive, I think. Yeah, there's also a lot of comparisons between this book and uh, Shogun, which is another one that we tried to read for uh, our book club thing before when we first started it. Yeah, that's the, the only one we like a narrative or. Um, just as a, like a look at Japanese culture, basically, because they're both like really big books focusing on um, a similar time frame, and so they're basically like you know uh, looking at it from how Shogun is basically like a look at the Japanese culture from the point of view of an outsider, whereas Musashi is like a look at Japanese culture from within. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know which one I liked more. For a lot of this book, I liked Shogun more. Um, Just because, I don't know, for me, largely, Shogun felt more entertaining. But by the end, I think I actually sort of liked this one more. Um, I think part of that is probably because Shogun was made as like a book the whole time, whereas Musashi was serialized. Uh, so you have like that little bit of incremental growth until it gets to the point where he actually starts doing some sweet shit. Yeah. Yeah. At first he's kind of just a little bastard and then he sort of like grows up slowly over time and the character development is actually really good for yeah, him. Character development and the character arc for Musashi is great. And don't forget his childhood friend as well. A lot of development there. Yeah. yeah for Matahachi. 
Yeah, yeah. Matahachi has a lot of a lot of developing too, and it's it's kind of fun to. It was really entertaining to see them kind of like go back and forth, and then him be kind of like almost like the punchline between him and Kojiro the whole time, and like he's just kind of like stuck in between and never really finding a purpose, and so he's kind of jumping around and doing all this random shit. Um, and uh, almost gets involved in a. I mean, we're gonna be spoiling this in the review, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Almost gets involved in a, another overthrowing of the government. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's just doing all sorts of dumb stuff, and it's. I don't know. I really liked. I really liked the character development for those two, especially. Um, and I think I think this book. I don't know. It deals with uh, the villain in one of the best ways I've ever seen, um, because it introduces um, Kojiro as just like the young lord. You know, he's just this young yeah. kid randomly thrown into the book and i'm like okay who the fuck are we talking about right now this is one of the things that you have to this is why it's it's almost reminiscent of like russian literature where all the names are really hard to remember and so that's a giant pain in the ass people come back and they don't even refer to them as their names or they refer to them as another name and then you don't realize you don't Which have is big in russia too because of all the nicknames they can have yeah or, or so in russia they God damn it, dude. They, they'll call you by your name. Sometimes they'll call you by your first name. Sometimes they'll call you by your last name. And sometimes they'll call you by your father's name. And there's already a 75% chance that those are all the same name. So it's like, fuck. <laughs> trying, to, try, trying to discern between that. It's like, it's like Tale of Two Cities uh, with the Jacques, you know? It's, that's how it is all the time in, in Russian literature. It's like impossible to know who the fuck is doing what. And this kind of had that feel, too, where like I was like, oh, okay, who's this? All right. And I look online. I'm like, oh, okay, it's this guy. All right, all right. I remember that guy. I remember that guy from 12 hours ago in this book. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, was, was, was Kojiro the young lord guy? And then like near the very end of the book, he's reminiscing about killing the sparrows on the ship. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess he was. I figured he was, but it never actually said. So there's a so lot of that. In the beginning, when you're first reading it, about you know Musashi and oh, what's his friend's name again? It's uh, Matahachi. Yeah, Matahachi. Um, so Takazo and Matachi, were you trying to like, were you waiting for Musashi to make an, an appearance, or did you at first expect one of them to turn into Musashi? Um, I thought one of them was going to turn into Musashi because I know that's a thing that happens. Uh, they kind of yeah. change their their names and stuff, which is another thing that makes it impossible. Uh, by the way, it's a little <laughs> Apparently easier. It's okay to uh, use a pseudonym in that culture too. Yeah, yeah. To like, publicly be known by another name. Um, well, yeah, because like uh, that Kojiro was also na- known by the name of his sword. So yeah, well, his and sword had a name. I think it's cool that he basically chooses one of them, and then it's like Musashi of Miyamoto. You know, that's kind of a cool yes. way to name to rename yourself. Um, and of course the, the play on characters and different pronunciations that we won't get. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that makes it kind of, um, kind of confusing. And at first I was having a real hard time with it for a, a while. It was like probably the first four or five hours of it. I was really not into it. And that's why it took me so long to finish the damn book. It's cause I was just like, Oh God, this is so, it's so slow and like there's all of these people and it, it's just big and it is very big. 
but once you kind of get your your head wrapped around all of it, it 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 gets pretty damn good. So it starts out with you um, kind of viewing Musashi, who is Takizo at the time, for his uh, his change, and his childhood friend um, Matahachi, and they're in a in a conflict. They're in a battle. Um, they're at the big battle of Sekigahara, and their side basically lost, and they're pretending to be dead um, so that they don't get killed. Uh, and as soon as the other side basically leaves, they get uh, they find like this house um, trying to hide from the enemy soldiers. Yeah, they just like hide in there and meet uh, two women. Uh, a mother and a daughter. Yeah, they were basically pilfering the dead bodies, and they found them um, not dead. And so they kind of went back with them. And this is where uh, the, it's just like the the scene in um, the nineteen ninety three Dracula, where uh, he's like stuck in bed with the with the with the fucking succubi, like drinking his blood, keeping him weak, and just boning him all day long. So, like, his buddy, Matahachi, ends up, like, hooking up with this chick's mom, who, I mean, she is a, uh, she is a, a harlot, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Um, she's a prostitute, uh, right? She, she's not, um, until much later, but... Uh, well, she's, she's, she, she's sowing the seeds of her future career, I guess. I, yeah, she's basically trying to get a... A sugar daddy, kind of, but also wants a young man because she doesn't want to feel old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she hooks up with uh, Matahachi, and then um, Sekiro, he... Or not Sekiro, fucking... Sekiro! Uh, <laughs> Musashi. <laughs> Musashi, uh, I You know, I, I had a hard... I, I would always think of Sekiro when I thought of uh, Kojiro, honestly. Even though they're, like, totally different because these guys are samurai and he's a ninja. Um still there's a lot of fights in Sekiro where you're not really it's not really much of a ninja fight it's just a ninja until you get to the fights and then and then it's just a duel you know so I I thought that was cool I was thinking about Sekiro a lot and then I was like well it's only like Sekiro during the big fights other than that Sekiro is just you sneaking around um so that was that was enjoyable and I did I I did kind of think of him when I thought of uh Kojiro as the you know, the master swordsmith, uh, swordsman. And, but anyway, they, she seduces, uh, Matahachi and after trying to seduce Takazo. Yeah. After trying to seduce Takazo. And he, he refused. Um, and then I guess his refusal, they like ratted out that he was there, uh, something like that. And so he had to, they had to like bail on it. And then, he, oh, what happened was that uh, her husband's dead brother or, like, dead rival for the business of, like, being the these gang leaders in this area that they're at um, wants to marry her or whatever, and he doesn't want her messing with the business by, you know, robbing the dead bodies, which he suspects her of doing. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Takizo and Matahachi defend I, I, them. I thought that they were they robbing the, the dead bodies for the gang, though. I thought that was, was part of it. They were robbing the dead bodies, and then they would have to sell no. the proceeds, split it with the gang. 
so Ako was basically robbing the dead so that she could stockpile money so that they could eventually leave. Um, and the, the gang leader guy knew that she was doing that, and he, he would come by every now and then to take the money from them. But she still had some money hidden away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and, he... and so Matahachi and Takazo uh, fought back and killed him. Um, and so they had to leave because their guys were going to come after them. Yeah, yeah. And this is where he gets, Matahachi gets captured. Or no, not Matahachi. Uh, um, God, I can't. Takazo, I have a hard time with his first name. His original name. He gets captured and he thinks he's going to die. And then uh, Oko's daughter, um, whose name escapes me right now, uh, she saves him and lets him go. Akemi. Yeah, Akemi, yeah. yeah. And she she's like in love with... Uh, with uh, God, with Musashi. Takazo? Yeah, Takazo. And... So she lets him go, um, and then he eventually gets kind of captured and then forcibly placed in this uh, school of um, this, like, Buddhist school thing by... uh, You're mixing things up. Okay, so, like, after they get get attacked by those guys, um, Ako and Matahachi leave with Akami. And so Takazu is alone. And so since he's alone, he decides to go back to Miyamoto. Um, and he breaks through a barricade uh, of enemy soldiers instead of just trying to, like, go in. And so he gets in trouble for that. And they eventually capture him. Um when he's trying to, when all he wanted to do was tell Matahachi's family what happened. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Because and he wanted to tell Otsu, who was going to marry Matahachi, uh, that he kind of fucked her over. Yeah, 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 that's that's what it was. And he got captured going back home. Um, yeah. And then we get the monk guy, who's a pretty cool character. Yeah. Yeah, and then the monk decides that his punishment will be to, like, hang from a tree. So they, like, tie him up, and so he starts hanging from a tree, and there's, like, a big storm. There's a lot of back and forth between Takazo, the monk, and Otsu. Um, And eventually Otsu helps him, like, escape, and she leaves with him because she starts developing feelings for him. Yeah, yeah. um, And then they get chased down by... uh... The best character in the whole book, um, which is Osugi. It's uh, Matahachi's <laughs> mom, who's just like this crazy, vengeful, like, psychotic woman. Um, yeah. And she, she just wants to bring Otsu and uh, and Musashi to justice for what they've done. Um, because she feels like... And it's just this huge misunderstanding the entire time. Because Musashi is like doesn't really care to clear it up, doesn't really understand it at first, because they're just kind of escaping. And um, well, Osugi also, thinks that she took, that he took his, his, uh, 
her son's like bride to be and ran off with her. Yeah, but the same thing is she has disliked uh, Takazo from the beginning, and she blamed yes. it on him that they went and joined the army in the first place, and so she hates him, and she goes out of her way to interpret everything he does as evil. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. it's the it's like this weird situation where you have kind of a letdown kid and there's like the other kid who's really impressive and so you just always want to like you're just jealous of it and so she's always trying to tear down um musashi because of how how much of a loser her son actually is um and he is he was pretty rowdy though to be honest like musashi was kind of a shit in the beginning so i could see why she didn't like her like him but um, so that creates that starts off the the animus between those two that continues for pretty much the entire time um, until the very end of the book. And she was my favorite for like a really long time, like her and uh, her traveling companion, um, Uncle Gung. Those guys were really funny because uh, yeah. they were just chasing uh, him around the countryside. The way, I love the way that she says Mushashi like the whole time. It's super funny. The yeah, did a really the, good job with her. Yeah, yeah, that's how I was gonna open it. Was just Musashi, just Musashi. This, <laughs> it was always excellently voiced too. A, a really good job from this guy uh, narrating this thing, and especially the parts with Osugi, because like it's always the same voice, and she's just like this prattling old old lady that's a you know really proud of her son the entire the time. Vengeful not, bitch, yeah, like, it's thing. super funny. That too, she's a she's a vengeful, vengeful bitch. But it also touches on the idea of people who are willing to do disgraceful things, but think it's okay because they'll go pray later and go, you know, and they think it's through religion that they're being righteous. And it kind of touches on that. Yeah, especially for her, because like she she like copies parts of their like a holy book for mm-hmm. these like men to distribute, and, you know, stuff later on. It's all about like treating your parents right because she, because uh, Matahachi's kind of being a fuck. And yeah. Doesn't like take it well that she's like come to help him out. Yeah, I think I think it also touches on uh, just how willing you are to put things to the side for those who you love. I think is a big part of that too because she's. I, she knows that she's wrong, but it doesn't really matter because you're supposed to take care of your family, right? And he is her family. It's really, by the end, that's all she yeah. has left. I mean, I, you'd argue that she didn't think what she was doing was wrong. She thought what she was doing was just and holy until right up until the very end. And so, like, there are so many times that they tried to kill Otsu, um, where she just wanted to kill her because she thought, you know, that's the only way to regain her honor type of thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. There there was a lot of that. Um, and she was going to try and kill Musashi, and so she like, had that fucking dagger she was going to stab Yeah. Yeah, that part was hilarious. She, he gets jumped in the night by the old lady. <laughs> he, like, beats her back. <laughs> and that, like, kind of stays with him for a long time. He's like, you know, that's the one time I almost lost. As this fucking old lady that snuck in and like tried to stab me. Yeah, that too. And then the one time where she hid like needles up her sleeve and were thrown and was thrown them at Musashi and actually got him in the eye at one point, kind of remind me of the you know the lady butterfly in Sekiro that part. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of that is kind of reminiscent of that actually. Yeah, she is she is similar to that. Oddly, 
She's probably almost as tough of a boss, too, for Musashi. Um, well, it's because he doesn't want to hurt her because he's Matahachi's mom. And so, yeah. yeah it's, it's, like, this whole book, it's, it's about people, regardless of what it does to you, um, you having to stick to your own code slash what was right in society type of thing. So even though she's clearly 100% in the wrong, he can't do anything about it just because she is... Uh, his friend's mother and a respected elder, so he can't kill her because that'd just be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Even there if was it was one part that, was, that I really enjoyed uh, while I was waiting for Matahachi to come to him, like on this bridge, because he didn't know that he didn't get his message. And so, like, Otsugi just kind of like comes up and is about to, you know, attack him. And he just like picks her up and puts her in a boat. And then just like waits until Matahachi gets there. And I thought that was really funny. That he just <laughs> yeah. like hides the old lady inside a boat. Yeah, yeah. Their their relationship is really, really hilarious in this thing. Because um, the entire time he's like really calm. He keeps trying to explain to her that she's like, she doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And he always she's calls like, her. No, fuck you. I'm going to kill you to restore my honor. Yeah, and she always calls her, uh, he always calls her Granny. Uh, that's yeah. his nickname for her. Um, yeah. So there, she's. I really do think she's probably the best character in the book, honestly, other than Musashi. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, but her and parts then, were my favorite. And so we kind of have those characters set up, but after Musashi, you know, completes his schooling with the monk that had held him, you know, imprisoned in the tree uh-huh. at one point, yeah, um, he, uh, he goes out so into the gets... world. Yeah, so there's uh, when he escapes with Otsu, he gets found out by the uh, the monk yeah. again. Um, and the but this time he had a noble with the lord, yeah. yeah. And the lord decides that uh, says that the monk can basically decide his punishment, and so the monk hides him in you know like a, a part of the castle that this lord has. Is like you know what you just read all these books, you just stay here for three years and just read. And that's basically what he does. He basically learns. um, And then at the end of the three years, he decides that he wants to change. And so the Lord says, all right, um, your name will now be Miyamoto Musashi. And so he kind of like takes that and wants to be a samurai and kind of just wanders around. And uh, he makes a promise with Otsu and he kind of like breaks it like as soon as she turns her back because he doesn't well, cause, cause he knows he, that he, he can't. now has a new purpose he his purpose is to go out and to learn what he can about swordsmanship and he he has to go you know you know you grow spiritually and personally and he's like he finally has a purpose in this world and he knows if he brings yeah. Otsu along that he'd be sidetracked from that because he can tell that he he, he likes Otsu too and he he can tell if she, if they go together, they might just end up getting married and living, you know, a normal life. And he he doesn't want to have that at that point. He he has a purpose now, and that's to learn everything there is to be about a samurai. Yeah. So he he figures that she'll get the way of his his ideals and what he's trying to do, and then at the same time, like he can't give her a good life while he's trying to accomplish that. So he doesn't want her to follow him. So he just kind of leaves. And so she ends up the whole book basically trying to find him wandering around 
just looking for scraps of information about him. Yeah, yeah. Uh and it's it's too bad because um the uh the so the monk and Musashi did live, like Takawan is the monk's name, and Musashi did yeah. live around the same time, but we don't know if they actually met each other. But uh it's kind of a cool it's kind of a cool uh little thing they added into the story. So a lot of it is um, based on his life, but then there's a bunch that is dramatized um, for entertainment's sake. Yeah, and you can kind of tell. It's, uh, it's it's historical fiction, um, but there but it is based off like real events, like the his battle at like the temple, and then like his challenging the various schools and whatever else that he did, and then him eventually beating uh, Kojiro on the island. Those are like actual things that he did, um, but they they wanted to tell a story about him like uh so they right. you know, obviously dramatized it yeah and this is a book of uh everyone shows up eventually also is another another alternate title for it um it could be called musashi or it could be called musashi yeah musashi eventually shows up and musashi arrives exactly when he intends to yeah and so does everyone <laughs> else that he's ever met <laughs> it's like they all show up occasionally it's like it's the it's the book of oh I almost ran into that person oh just kidding I totally ran into that person um, so like his past just always keeps coming back up and I mean that's a really great part of his character development too because like Cameron said um, he does really love Otsu right the whole time but he yeah. he really wants to be the a master swordsman and he kind of wants to repent for what he did as a kid you know his recklessness um his stupidity he wants to master himself before he um shares his life with another person and so that's why he goes on this huge quest um to sort of become the greatest swordsman in his own in his own right but really he's just trying to do right um by the world and he ends up coming across uh, multiple people that join his side um his first his first disciple that he gets um Fuck, what is that guy's name, Caleb? Um, the kid, his name is Jotaro. Yeah, Jotaro. Jotaro. And so, yeah, Musashi heads out in the world to start learning. Otsu now starts on her quest to follow him and try to get, make it back with him. And so things ensued on different paths of lives. But the thing that Musashi has to go do is... He, what he's learned, his techniques, he has to go test it against the school and stuff. But while he's there in the city, he associates with this family where this boy is there, Jotaro, who's, you know, loves everything about Musashi, sees what kind of a person Musashi is and wants to train under him, become his pupil. So, another thing about Jotaro is that um, while Takazo was tied up on the tree, um, there was this officer guy who was trying to sleep with Oko or Otsu like the whole time and he kind of like almost raped her one time and he basically was disgraced when they eventually captured Takazo later on when he was uh, you know um, basically put into that room for like three years and that officer guy is Jotaro's father yeah uh, um, and then so that officer guy well. Yeah, that officer guy eventually becomes like a destitute monk who wanders around. Um, and yeah, so the, Jotaro is in this city working for this like wine cellar guy 
who he just like happens to meet uh, Musashi, and he also wants to be a samurai because his dad was, and so he wants uh, Musashi to train him because like nobody else will take him on. Hello. So, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. It got really quiet, and I was like, "What the?" Huh. Yeah, yeah it, it got quiet. So I was wondering, like, <laughs> so um, I guess he takes on um, Jotaro as a pupil. He's like, "You got. You better make sure this is what you want to do," type of thing. And then he makes a plan for Jotaro to meet him somewhere because he has to go fight, you know, the school just to see what they have, and. So Mustache goes to fight his first school, and I think it was only like the pupils there that allowed him to fight. He didn't actually fight the master of the school, but he ends up laying them out to where now the school wants revenge. It's always about revenge for these schools, and they always set it up to where Musashi wants to fight one-on-one and have a fight, but then if um, they lose, then they're willing to just jump them, and somehow that gains their honor back or something like that. It's because it basically erases the uh, the loss. It's like it's not really honorable for them to do, but they can tell the tell people that they didn't lose because they defeated him. But it's always pitting Musashi up against multiple people, and yeah. then as the book moves forward, as Musashi learns, he also you know you see him progress and start introducing new things to his style that just seem natural to him. So he's not about learning at a school. It just he, he wants to learn, but he notices that he's already beyond what they have to teach. Yeah, he develops skills that allow him to fight multiple opponents at once as well as you know, just the regular one v one. Yeah, yeah. So he's not he's trying to create his own style essentially. Um, and that's kinda how he advertises himself throughout um, yeah, he wants to become a good enough swordsman that he can eventually make his own style, which is also what Kojiro wants to do, which is why it sets them up as rivals. Yeah. And then when is Kojiro first introduced? It, it's when he's going through... It's it's the whole scene where this lord was given a cut flower that he just discards, but then... Musashi sees the same flower and goes, oh, the precision on this cut. Only a master swordsman could have made this cut. And then that was what the whole master swordsman wanted, um, you know, the person who received the flower to see. Was that Kojiro there who originally got that flower? Um, no, it was the it was one of the guys from the school that he had challenged that the master wasn't there. At. Um, so when he beat up those guys, like it was their leader he yeah i think to be somewhere else i think kojiro's introduction is when he they just he's just on the boat like coming into town basically and he yeah. that was a good scene though on the boat yeah yeah and he's basically With being a, <laughs> a yeah a pompous ass to the the guys on the boat the the crew and everyone kind of hates him and then he's just out there practice killing birds on the fly you know on the side of the boat and then he has his monkey and everything yeah so i really i like i said earlier i really like what they did with uh kojiro in this um they made him they they made him not really that bad of a guy i mean he is pretty prideful and he is uh arrogant and all that but i mean those are pretty common 
pretty common characteristics. But other than that, I mean, he is treated as kind of a normal human being in this book. And I really liked how they introduced him. You know, he was younger. He was just kind of like, you know, willful, similar to Musashi. He didn't quite have the same amount of discipline at the time. Um, but it just kind of introduced, hey, there's this guy out here doing this thing. And then eventually those two came together and they both knew that they were going to have to fight each other one of these days. Cause like they're both kind of on the same path of just becoming master swordsman. And I, I don't know. I just really liked, I really liked how they did, uh, Kojiro in this book. I think it was excellent. I think it's a great way to, to build a bad guy. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of creative projects don't do it nearly this well. Um, whether it's other books, games, stuff like that, they tend to be semi-generic, and I don't think he was generic whatsoever. So I thought it was really cool how they just you know, yeah, nonchalantly are like... Yeah, he was basically like, just trying to be a nuisance to Musashi the whole time because he knew that he was roughly of the same skill because they sized each other up and stuff. Um, and then when Otsugi yeah. comes around, he like helps her out a lot. So a large part about you know some of the fights, some of the fights that they get into don't involve actual swordsmanship. It's just through their character and force of will. They do like the kind of like intense stare at each other that you see in anime. That you know just stare off, and then the person with the stronger presence of will is the one who won. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean they they have that and then like like Craig was saying, he's always fucking him over like left and right. He's trying to turn Matahachi against him. Matahachi is like the <clears throat> the younger brother in Vikings. Like he's just the annoying guy that like tries to fuck you over a bunch of times but he just can't do it cuz he's just not as good. You know? It's like that's what, that's what that whole show is about is about one older brother who is always getting fucked over by his younger brother, but never actually gets fucked over because he's better than his brother, which is why he's in charge. And that's kind of how <clears throat> Matahachi and and uh, and Musashi are throughout the whole book. Like Matahachi turns against him in multiple times, thinking that he ripped him off. He took Otsu from him, um, and Kojiro even fans those flames at one point, and he he gets him involved in in trying to trying to get a plot going against against. Uh, against um musashi and he it's funny because they like he ends up getting manahachi always gets fucked over too like trying to fuck someone else over he just gets screwed and so he finds otsu and he basically keeps her for a while and then he gets fucking he gets like found by some other guy who otsu knows and otsu is like hey i remember you and then they're like oh man is this is this before after uh with Mutachi, uh, his fucking name. Is this before or after his own personal run-in with Kojiro? Because there was the time where, you know, he didn't know what to do. He he finally broke free of that mom, and now he's traveling. Oko, Oko, yeah, and he finally broke free. And now he's trying to, you know, get out of alcoholism yeah, he, and stuff like that. He gets a job and stuff, and... and he gets a job, you know, doing you know hauling rocks and stuff for a castle or a fortress, and he meets up with this apparent samurai who's you know painting or whatnot and the dude the samurai tells him hey you know i'll pay you if you just watch my back for a little bit um but anyways that samurai ends up getting jumped by you know the guards on that project and then he you know fights well and stuff but then he gets slain but then uh marahachi 
goes over and basically steals all of his personal belongings and then finds a certificate um, in those belongings. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he later parades around as if he were uh, Sasaki Kojiro, which is hilarious because he runs yeah. into Kojiro. Who's like, yeah, so he tries to use yeah. the name to make, you know, he tries to make a name for himself, tries to, you know, steal this dude's achievements, basically. Um, and he gets, you know, swindled a few times out of his gold, and he's trying to use, you know, the name to, you know, find the people who did it and bring it back and, you know, basically get honor. And then kind of two things happen. There's this monk who's looking for the real Kojiro, who basically beans him with a staff by like hurling at him and stuff like that. But then he also has a run in later with Kojiro himself. He's like, Oh, what'd you say your name was? Oh, Kojiro. That's really funny. <laughs> and then basically it's like, I've never met another Sasaki Kojiro. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and so basically uh, Kojiro ties him to the tree to a tree with a name, you know, with a, a sign above him saying, hey, this dude's pretending to be someone he's not type of thing, and just leaves him there instead of killing him. But then there's a whole other point of why Kojiro is such an ass is that he has this honor from the school. He's like, eh, I'm better than that. Like, I don't want to be known for this. I want to be known for my own thing. Yeah, yeah. So he they, they have similar paths, but they have very different approaches to it, him and Musashi. Exactly. And Musashi, honestly, it's really weird because... The character of Musashi, he's honestly very, he's very kind of a Western character. He's like a mix between Western ideals and and uh, Buddhist stuff, which it does have a lot of crossover. Because there's one point near the very end where he's he's basically saying like the only way you can become you know great is by taking things into your own hands. And he gets onto Matahachi and he's like, look, you know you. You keep complaining about how everything is unfair and how every everyone's turned against you, but like you need to start taking responsibility for yourself, basically, and you need to start taking responsibility for your actions. And the reason why you aren't as prominent as I am isn't because you're not as good; it's because you're not as willing to put forth the effort, basically. And I thought that was interesting. And then, like in that moment, I was like, "Man, this is weird," because. This character is more of a Western character than all of the characters in fucking uh, um, in the in in Shogun almost like he he's because Shogun the whole, the whole thing is like the the Western guy becoming Asian but now it's like the Asian guy has some serious Western ideals to him and that's what he tells what his best friend. What would you specifically well, say is Western out of Musashi? Well, it's it's. I don't know. I think it's just the high emphasis on personal um, responsibility. It's because his That's ideas very don't Eastern exactly, thing, though, too, though. It's probably because his ideas don't exactly match what everybody else is saying. Uh, right. He's more about because, him developing what he feels is right in him. His own, he, like, he, he has his own personal code, his own sense of honor that he sticks to, that everyone else tends to, you know, skirt around, that they're willing to do, un- you know, dishonorable things to save face and save their name, whereas Musashi's not held by that at all. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a Western way to go about it, but it's definitely, you know, in contrast with what, you know, everyone else in the book. Yeah, I would yeah, just say he's more about he's more about a sense of self, whereas everybody else is yeah. more about like a sense more, of serving uh you know someone higher, someone right. better. 
Yeah. He's, he's all about Honorable. honing himself and then developing himself first. Yeah, well, that's... And I guess that could be a Western idea. Yeah, that's what makes it That's what makes it a Western idea to me. And he even says that. He says that you are... He said the self is the most important uh, thing. It's at one point to Matahachi. I, I'm pretty sure he, he says that exact thing, which is... But the extreme dedication he puts into it, I would say, is more of an Eastern way of going about things. Yeah, I suppose. Um, but that is the whole basis of Western culture is that, you know, the nexus of everything is the individual and the individual, you know, right. is the greatest source of power. And that's basically what Musashi is saying. Right. And that's, you know, everything else. You're right, though. I, I agree. It is like a it's like a Eastern dude with like a really big Western ideal. And that's the big thing that, you know, he uses to push himself above everyone else. Because like, in Matahachi's the complete opposite in a but, lot of ways he's always right. you know he's always like oh man i keep getting screwed over i can't do anything right and then in the end he gets a chance to redeem himself because he finds uh asugi who he was porking for years because asugi basically if you can't get if you can't he's the mom right oh not asugi yeah, not asugi <laughs> yeah. sorry 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 uh, akemi see all these names it's too much yeah he's porking his mom uh, no, uh, he meets Jeez. up with Akemi, who he was with for years, who is the daughter of uh, um, Oko, who was porking Manahachi. And basically, everyone that loves Musashi just settles for Manahachi in the book. And then they're disappointed <laughs> for years. That's true. <laughs> you either get one or the other, and when you settle, you're just disappointed. Right. Uh, uh, and then, you know, Musashi puts such a huge emphasis on little moments and little things that he can derive meaning from, you know, all the way down to a tea ceremony to the way a master craftsman makes little tea bowls to drink out of. And he tries to appreciate the craftsmanship and the mastership and all these small little things and tries to interpret that to himself. I would say, you know, that level of detail and trying to interpret stuff is more of the definitely an Eastern way of doing things but he is constantly trying to develop his character into an ideal um i don't i i couldn't make a swing for it being western or eastern in any way but he's definitely trying to be different than what the surrounding you know culture and ideals are yeah he's trying to be more like a true master like the you know the different masters of the schools, like the one that he never got to fight or really talk to or meet. He's, he's trying to be more like him than I think, you know, what the average culture is. Yeah. He wants to follow the code of the samurai, but he interprets it in a way that is his own. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, there's no way like, like any, you know, a normal person, can get to that level of devotion to every small aspect of their life. It's just so specific and so narrowed down. Something that you will see, you know, often in Japanese culture and Japanese, like, you know, and I guess culture references and stuff about how they put such a huge emphasis in everything, including like, you know, how there's beauty in disharmony and how there's, you know, beauty, you know, in just the smallest little detail of something. And that's just something that we don't see very much. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, I don't know. It is kind of a good blend. Um, and it is a, I don't know. I liked it. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, it took a little while to get into, but 
Um, when, so, uh, at what point do you think that he, it turned around for you, Schweiss? Um, when he started killing a bunch of people. I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, when the uh, action picked so, up. So, like at the temple, or? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because he ends up accidentally. So, there's another um, kind of comparison between Kojiro and Musashi. It's when they get into fights with these, you know, normal samurai, they end up killing people. And the way Kojiro goes about it versus the way Musashi goes about it, you know, Musashi, he's not trying to kill someone, but they're in an actual fight. And so, it's going to happen. Um, but then Kojiro, like, gets pleasure from, you know, totally annihilating his opponent like that. Yeah, he's a little more sadistic about it. Yeah. Um, so he picks up Jotaro, fights the one school, but now he's kind of run out of town, slash he doesn't, you know, even though they're going to be saying things about him, he doesn't care type of thing. Like, let them say what they're going to say. Like, what their opinions of me doesn't change what my end goal is. <laughs> When he picks up Jotaro, uh, he basically makes an appointment to fight the uh, the leader of that school, like a year from then. Yeah, yeah. And so he kind of like wanders off, and then so they just go to various temples to kind of like observe their skills because he wants to improve his own skill by like watching others. Uh, and so they they go eventually to this temple where they have, like, a, a specific staff for spear skill. I can't remember which one it was. I think it's spears. Um, and he meets, like, this old man there who he, like, ends up being afraid of, kind of, because, like, he had, like, great spirit or whatever. And then the old guy, when he talks to him, he's like, you know, I was actually afraid of you because you were the one projecting the intention to kill me. Uh, and so I was just trying to, like, defend myself. Yeah, that's, that's another one of those like anime moments where they can interpret the will of others and then the, the, his powerful presence of death is what made this other samurai on guard or this monk on guard on edge. And then another learning movement for Masashi to where he needs to now really, he's honed his skill with the sword, he needs to hone his will and his, and his, his intentions type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like challenges at later dates, and then him going off and kind of training and learning. Um, and then at one point he gets separated from Jotaro, and because uh, Jotaro gets like captured, um, and he kind of goes off and does his well, own thing for a while. And then he finds a he finds another kid that um, he's like in the woods or something, and he. Well, he, the the how Jotaro got captured or that whole scene where. Um, Musashi really wanted to meet the lord of this one school where he, you know, had that perfect cut on the lily. And so he goes in and introduces himself to, you know, the other pupils who study there. And then earlier, Jotaro had gotten kind of, you know, beaten up and maimed a little bit by that dog. And so now Jotaro, in his, his pursuit of honor, goes and kills the dog. And then everyone else is like, oh, he killed the master's dog. Oh, we're going to fight him. And so, of course... You know, Musashi in his sense of honor, hey, if you have a problem with my pupil, you have a problem with me, it's my fault, but I'm not going to just sit here and let you take it out on him type of thing. Ends up fighting, you know, some of the students of the school, but then they end up getting separated, I guess, as they leave. Is that where they get separated, Caleb? No. So Jotaro, um, he he goes to this, like, house um, that's, like, just outside those grounds, 
where the you know the old man that Musashi really wants to meet is, and that's where uh, Otsu happens to be as well. Um, and Jotaro tells Musashi about it, and then Musashi is like, "Oh fuck!" And then he just like leaves. But another thing is, he he goes tries to go up to the Lord's house, but then he sees what was written on the gates, and he's like, "Oh man, it would be such a." sacrilege to go up here and challenge him to talk about this because he's obviously on the next portion of his life and I don't want to dishonor that. Yeah. He he basically is like, oh man, I've been kind of a fuck. Um, and then he realizes he knows that Otsu is there. He's like, oh shit. So he just basically leaves. He's not uh, ready to meet Otsu. And so, and so Jotaro and Otsu uh, start traveling together to try and find him again uh, after he leaves. <laughs> And then when did Jotaro pick up that mask, the mask that is often compared to Otsu? Um, the way... when, he, when he goes to, when, right before they, after they go to the temple and he beats one of the guys that was the wielders of the spear and he talks to that old guy, the, the name mm-hmm. the thing I mentioned, uh, at the place that they were staying when they left. Uh, um, Basically, you know, uh, yeah, the in return for like, protecting control, yeah. the people... Um, the, this lady who let them stay at her house uh, gave them a gift, and Jotaro wanted this like mask of like that everyone else. Yeah, it was like kind of twisted and like demonic in a way, because it yeah. was so grim looking. And, and it yeah, was it gets... basically an outward expression of what was going on inside of Otsugi, I guess. Or uh, Otsu. Otsu, yeah, because yeah. it was like a, it was like a crazed woman mask. Um, like a ghostly woman, and people are like, oh, fuck, that looks like Osu. Because she's, like, obsessed with, like, finding Musashi. And it's like, oh, taking over her, consuming her. Another sick era connection. Could that be that one ghostly woman who's crying after uh, a samurai who might have been dead, but then you have to fight her? Yeah, I was actually thinking about yeah. that when I when I that, read that part. That's kind, of, that's kind of what that mask is representing and something like that, yeah. Yeah, and so that mask later actually it does something funny, but if when we get to that part, when he scares uh, uh what's her name? Akemi, I guess. Akemi. Yeah. Um, but so they leave him and Jotaro get separated again, but they were supposed to meet up at a different location at some point. Um I think they don't end up being there at the same time and still somehow get separated. But eventually, um, we're going to be skipping kind of, I, I guess, a chunk of the middle of the book, but um, where basically Jotaro ends up in a different kind of life, and um, Musashi ends up taking on another yeah, pupil. So Otsu gets kidnapped by, I think, Matahachi. Matahachi, yeah. Yeah. And after he after she gets taken by him, oh no! It's uh, it's that group that um, that they first that um, Matahachi and Takazo killed. They like their guys find her somehow or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they kidnap her and then Matahachi eventually saves her or something. Um, so he takes her away. And Jotaro, trying to, like, get help to rescue Otsu, uh, goes back to this old man who was nice to him in the village, who ends up being, like, this crazy dude. 
but he's like he just basically takes Jotaro in and yeah he lives a completely different life for a while um and then uh with that old man uh they, so yeah Jotaro stay end up staying with that old man yeah 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 that's that's yeah so eventually he uh so he's going through and he's kind of just growing as a person meeting up with people from his past you know everything's kind of coming full circle all the time and after a while he he and this is where it like turns into red dead 2's like epilogue it's really weird uh he fucking like comes across this um place and i guess there's like a really bad storm i can't remember what the reason is but he basically comes up to this house and he's like hey i'm gonna stay here for the night like mm-hmm. you know i'm crashing so deal oh, with yeah. it he sees, he sees this kid um like gathering materials or like food or something oh yeah yeah yeah. that's it and then he kind of like he's gonna make food for his dad yeah yeah and he kind of like follows him back and then he uh stays there and then he finds out that the kid's dad um died and then he realizes that the little like thing in the corner is a dead body, and so this is where it's like Red Dead Two God of War combo. They like buried the dad, and then he like takes over, and they he he basically <laughs> starts. Well, he, he the starts kid a, really wanted to join him as a pupil again to him, and so he's like, "All right, well, you got to burn everything that holds you in the past." And so the kid, not knowing what they're doing, all right, so they burn the old house because they couldn't reside, you know, where his father's spirit was, and the kid's like, "Hey, what's next?" All right. So we're going to come over here, which is, you know, in the same area, and we're going to build another house and live here for a while and shape this land. Yeah, yeah, and then they basically, yeah, they just try to, they work tirelessly to grow. And the whole village was like, oh, you're so stupid. Things can't grow there. But, if you know, of course, Masachi's like, well, we're going to do it this way and then prove everyone wrong. Yeah, and he fails multiple times, and then he, you know, he, he eventually kind of helps it, and he, I think he gets it up to where it is growing stuff, right? Right, but that that comes into play a little bit later. Um, yeah, but this is so a what really happens is that village is attacked by some bandits. Yeah, yeah, and Musashi goes fucking ham on these guys, and that's where I, I, I during this fight is where I messaged you guys. I was like, man, he really got that Makiri counter down. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's a part where he does it. He, he defends the village. He teaches the village how to defend itself, which is the biggest thing. Because Musashi knew that he could go in and kind of fight them off, but to keep them safe in the long run, they needed to know how to defend themselves, but not necessarily become warriors. Just become you know firm in who they are and who they're protecting and stuff like that. Because them together, it'd be stronger than any of those roving bands. So he came in help them defend their village, show them that they had the power, and then he turned this spot of land that everyone thought that couldn't grow into a really productive area of land and showed them, you know, changed not only just the way they could defend themselves, but the way they're now farming and, you know, helping their own village. And just right when they wanted to start deifying him, that's when he decided to leave. He leaves. Yeah, he, he George Washington's it, man, right? The moment when they're like, you know, you could be the king. He's just like, no. And then he leaves. Yeah, there's a there's like also a temple nearby where they've been getting food while they've been trying to like plant stuff in this area, and uh, there's like a visiting samurai whose lord is like a really big deal, and he wants to meet Musashi because of all the shit that he's done in his village, 
and like teaches like the village how to fight back, you know, and like to defend themselves. Like I'd really like to meet this guy, and he like barely misses his chance to meet Musashi. Um, and that becomes kind of a thing too because like that guy later, uh, he he wants to recruit Musashi for like years for his lord, and um, Kojiro ends up working for his lord because of this other guy that wants Kojiro to work there. Yeah, yeah, and because of like the. <clears throat> the dirt that's on Musashi. And it's yeah. funny because he's like, all right, I'll accept this position, but he really didn't want to. And then when they go into the job interview and they like, they're like, Oh, sorry, we're actually not going to give it to you. He's like super relieved. He's like, Oh God, thank you. Well, that, that was for, that was for a different job. Oh, was it? See, fuck man. There's just too many people. So what, the, what that job was is they were going to, um, they were trying to get a little Musashi. ambush for Musashi too. You have to talk about that. Yeah. So that job that you were talking about for Musashi is uh, they were trying to get him the position of being a the sword teacher to the shogun, which is like an insanely high position because the shogun is basically one step below the emperor, uh, even though at this point he had more power than the emperor. Yeah, yeah. So he was like he was going to be really fucking important, and Sojiro and uh, Otsugi realized that they would never be able to get to him if he got that position. So, you know, they start spreading dirt on him and then he's like, fuck yes, I don't have to do this thing. Now I can continue my quest. Yeah. He want to do. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a funny part. Cause they were like, they fucked him over, but they actually gave him exactly what he wanted. Um, yeah. Which is kind of what they do the whole time. Almost like she's always trying to screw him over, but he just kind of like brushes. <laughs> off. Yeah. But yeah, um, so. But there was this one moment again where it was Musashi's spidey sense or his force of will basically got him that job in the first place. Where the monk uh, Takazo and the lord of this place were waiting for him for a meeting. And I guess like one of the teachers was going to be waiting in ambush down a hallway. Um, but Misachi just felt like something was wrong. He couldn't go down that hallway, so he decided to go around and then therefore pass the test. Yeah. And so a lot of the fights and the tests that happen are solved without conflict type of thing, just through force of will. Yeah, there's also really another kind of funny part where um, you know, he goes out with... Uh, that one swordsmith guy, um, and then like a few other guys, and he eventually meets like this really, uh, really important like courtesan lady, and he ends up staying with her for a couple days, and everybody's like fucking jealous, yeah, because like, she like treats with like the most important people, and she like chooses her clients basically. And she's like, yeah, I really love this guy, yeah, and, and then. Man. And then uh, that's where also uh, Musashi's second pupil gets in trouble too by killing a dude trying to get to, get to him. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the point where, so Jotaro, he got, you know, left behind basically. Um, and then he basically starts, you know, teaming up with the dude that he didn't know what he was really up to, thought he was just like a merchant or whatever, but he finds out that this merchant's actually a thief. And then the thief kind of like presses him in to serve him to become his son and to live that life. And he starts 
you know, filling Musashi's head with all this stuff, or not Musashi, Jotaro's head with what he's actually doing, that what they're doing, he's not just a thief, he's like trying to incite a revolution. And then they pull uh, Matachi uh, into that as well. Later yeah. in, the, in the story. Just because Matachi's a desperate little And fun. other people. Yeah. And so there's the whole another side story of this Jotaro and all of these people are now setting the planes to overthrow the current government. And then they, you know, they barely pull, like the monk barely pulls Matachi out in time. He wasn't going to give him a good, you know, death, I guess. But somehow he, he gets out of that, right? No, he uh, makes him think that he's going to kill him, just like he did with uh, um, Musashi in the beginning. Right. Yeah, and then he shaves his head and makes him become a monk. Yeah, and then that's where later on, as he's doing his monk pilgrimage and he's kind of like learning to be not a shitlord, he, uh, <laughs> that's when he sees um, <clears throat> Akemi, who's got a baby, and he's like, oh, fuck. And he kind of like counts back the time, and he's like, oh, I think that's actually my kid. And he's like, well, sorry, guys, I got to go. And he just kind of abandons his uh, monk life. Well, he said, uh, hey, you know, the, he said he, that he like, hadn't actually taken his vows yeah. for being a monk yet. So he basically was like, yeah, I'm going to go raise this kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he basically lives in poverty the rest of his life, it seems like. He's just super poor, um, which is great. I mean, he chose his family. Well, it's good. It's he, awesome. he goes back to doing, like, manual labor and stuff, which is what he actually liked doing in the first place. He, he really liked doing that kind of thing before. I think he just liked being able to make money and do stuff rather than just be, you know, a whore's, uh, you know, fallback plan type of thing where he can actually go out and do work and make money that yeah. feel like he's making a difference, even though if it's not as honorable. Yeah, there's a certain amount of dignity that's inherent in work, you know. That's why it's so yeah. important to people. It's not... It's not so much the money and the means to survive. A lot of times it is having that sense of purpose that is almost more important than those things. And that's the reason why a lot of people, you know, a lot of like retired cops and stuff like that, they end up offing themselves because they don't have any family. They don't have anything to do. And it's, it's pretty common for people that, you know, once they, once they don't have anything, they have no reason to live. So, um, that's kind of how he's been for a really long time in this in this book he's kind of just like bouncing around and doing all these stupid things because he finally gains like a purpose like oh man we're going to overthrow the government and then he gets really involved in it and then you know it doesn't work out his character development is really interesting because like the whole time with the co he's like he's miserable um and then he gets back to to being like actually working and he enjoys himself but then he kind of like screws himself over when he tries to pretend to be Kojiro. Um, and then he meets Mus- Musashi again, and then his whole thing ends up being, I want to make it as big as Musashi, but he doesn't really want to put the work into it. So he keeps trying to get these like quick fixes. Yeah, um, yeah. Up until like the very end, where he's like, you know what, I just got to live my life. Yeah, pretty much. Is, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, uh... I liked his development. I liked Kojiro and I liked Musashi's. Um, I don't know though. Like Oku, Otsu, uh, I don't really know if I care about her as a character all that much. Um, now I will say there is a part near the very end where Asugi finally captures Oko again or no Otsu. Oko gets murdered by the way. 
(laughs) She gets fucking blasted. Uncle gets straight up destroyed. (laughs) I was like, whoa, geez. I was like, oh, hey, it's her again. And just fucking sorted through. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Um, But at the very, near the very end of the book, um, this is where I I don't, I don't know. Otsu is kind of like a, to me, she felt like a blank slate. And I was like, yeah, you know, she's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool that Musashi's, you know, going to go to her in the end once he, accomplishes she, what he wants and you heard like uh she's like a sort of i hate comparing this to uh tale of two cities but you know how like that one chick is like super pure and everybody loves her and like that's why the like, best character in the book is like obsessed with her yeah until he's willing to die for her yeah it's kind of like the same thing where otsu is basically like uh, she's like a, a purity, she's like beauty, you know, and she's kind of supposed to be, um, you know, like the Japanese perfect woman, essentially. Yeah, the ultimate I, ideal, kind she, of. Yeah, the ultimate ideal, I think, is why she's like that. Um, because, like, that's why it, it would work that way in um, kind of a metaphorical sense, because, like, Matahachi wants it, um, and then, you know, Musashi is like, he, he turns away from it to become what he wants to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the, it's the box in, you know, it's the box in uh, Pulp Fiction. It's, it's whatever you want it to be is inside there. That's kind of what she is. She's kind of a metaphor more than anything, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will say when, <clears throat> when Osugi, you know, almost kills her, I was like, man, I don't know if I can have Osugi as my favorite character now. Cause she killed, you know, she killed, uh, Otsu and I was that like, fuck. Really, that was a really dark moment for her. I was like, holy fuck. I was like, no way did she just kill Otsu. Yeah. And then I was like, I accepted it and I was like, well, she's probably still my favorite, I guess. And then she, Otsu was alive. Was and I'm the, like, oh, okay, the turning moment for, um, Otsugi, uh, because she's like, oh wow. Like my hatred's driven me to do this type of thing. Yeah. And she's I mean, like, she was trying to kill, she was trying to kill her over and over again. Part of what it was was like, she thought she had killed her. And so she like hides the body. Um, and she like freaks out about it. And yeah. then like, she's like, I, I shouldn't have done this. And then she basically starts praying. And then she realizes that Otsu isn't dead. Yeah, and that completely changes because she's like, I have wronged you. I did like so many horrible things. And she starts babying her kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it's really great because at the same time, I mean, she's the ultimate ideal for Otsugi as well, because all she ever wanted was for her son to marry Otsu, right? That's the whole reason why she's pissed at Musashi and why she's even part of the story, you know, to begin with. Um, so really she is, she is kind of representative of like the, the thing which you seek the most, you know, like to everybody in this fucking thing, actually. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good observation, Craig. And she's like the perfect woman and she even got proposed to by that one ninja guy randomly on the road. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's super stoked on her. Um, yeah, that's true. And then, so once, uh, you know, once that happens, you're right. She kind of babies her and really, really takes care of her. And, uh, then we kind of get to the last bit of the book, which is really, really excellent. Um, 
One of the things about about Musashi that's always really funny is during his big appointments, he's like fucking late, like all the time. Um, yeah, and everyone's always shitting on him for being late. But like, it's all it, it's kind of a good strategy because you know they're waiting on you, and then you just kind of you know take your time and show up whenever you want, and they'll be there. And I don't really know if it's really intended. It doesn't really seem like it, like it's super intended. At least with the final fight with uh. Oh, it's intended. You think so? Oh, it it definitely is. Yes. <laughs> it's the art of war coming out in him. Like, yeah, that's that's one of the big things that they talk about a lot in that book too. Is uh, the art of war? Yeah, another great book, by the way. Excellent. Um, uh, which is part of a collection with Miyamoto Musashi's own book, The Book of Five Rings. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he. He wants to basically make them mad, so like throws them off a bit, um, and so that's why he does that sort of thing. Which is also why he uh, in that final fight with Kojiro, because Kojiro's sword, the drawing pole, is like a really it's like a longer sword. He takes the oar from the boat and breaks it so that it's like slightly longer than that sword, and that's what he uses to fight him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he has a little bit more length than than Kojiro because he's being ma- massive dick, but it's also for like the psychological damage that it does. Yeah, he totally beats Kojiro because how pissed Kojiro gets. Yeah, yeah. So Masashi is like he's a really good fighter, but he's also a really smart fighter, um, and he knows that yeah. really winning is kind of the the biggest thing. And it's not. I, I guess it's a you know, a mark against his honor to be late like that, but that's not what anyone's going to talk about, and he knows it. You know, they're going to talk about how he beat him with the fucking oar. Right. (laughs) Like, ever. The the whole build-up to the fight is Musashi is now whatever outcome he is okay with that he's going to be there in that fight, and that that fight is his world. Like, so he's building up to know maybe if he did lose, that's a great way to become immortal that if he's gone, his name will keep living on type of thing. So Musashi was a hundred percent prepared to lose. He was a hundred percent invested in that fight, no matter what type of thing. And that also is what kind of gave him the edge where he wasn't thinking about, Oh, once I win this fight, blah, 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 this will happen. It was, this fight is everything. Yeah, he's like, I can't plan for past this fight because I could possibly die. Yeah, um, and, and, and I, I kind of expected Musashi to lose. It's one of the penultimate things, too, is because, like, right before that fight, he ends up meeting with uh, Jotaro and Otsu again. Yeah. And they, they have, like, this big discussion. Um, Musashi tells her that he does love her. Um, and he is her husband, basically, without saying and, it. Yeah, yeah, and that he doesn't really want to, um, you know, plan for anything because he could he could be walking to his death right now because he is about to go fight Kojiro. Yeah, and Kojiro it does kind of the same thing. He he has a lot of inter inter uh, you know doubt about the outcome of the fight too, and he's like, man, I could totally die at this thing. So. It's another good example of how great of a bad guy he is, how great of a an opposing force he is to Musashi in the in this book. Is just how you know, he is kind of a reckless and, you know, semi quasi sadistic bastard, but he also 
you know, he's very real. He understands that he could easily die too. And, you know, he knows that Musashi is a great, great fighter. And that's why he has known this day was coming since the first time he saw him. Yeah. And I also, and along with that is, uh, I love like what happens every time they meet too, because there's that one time where, uh, Musashi was like asleep in the corner of this tea house or whatever. Um, and, you know, Kojiro is there talking trash about Musashi the whole time. Uh, and as soon as, like, his companions leave, Musashi's like, oh, what was that you were just saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you called him out, like, outside of the thing. And he's like, well, you know, you brought up some good points. I'm going to have to take some of this uh, to thought. I appreciate yeah, I'm, your... I'm going to have to think about that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens later. Yeah. I appreciate the feedback. It's not often you get it, you know. And that's like, <laughs> and then also that's like in the book, right? Where it's like, yeah, and then that's when they knew both of them were going to like fight at some point. They knew it was going to happen. Yeah, and, and then that's part what led to the the ultimate fight at the end. Yeah, and Musashi just, I mean, he just fucking cracks him with the with the oar, and it's over. Like, yeah. he just kills him. He, like, caves his fucking skull in from the sound of it. Yeah, and it was during a moment where Kojiro thought he had won. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it was really, I don't know, I thought it was really cool. It was really fast, too. It was, like, a really fast little fight, and so it was kind of, like, yeah. bittersweet in that way. Um, but, yeah, Kojiro's convinced he's going to do it, and then he just gets fucking cracked and just dies. Um and then Musashi just just leaves. You know, he just fucking takes off. He doesn't say anything to anybody. He just gets back on the boat, and then he leaves, and that's how it ends. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was fucking great. That's a great ending. Um, I thought so, too. I thought it was the ultimate way to end it. It's just yeah. I'm, I couldn't decide whether or not I would have liked it more if Musashi lost, just because of uh, the build-up to that fight, where... I don't know. This felt like he would become a legend if he lost the fight type of thing, or if they both died. You wanted the mighty ducks in. Well, he couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't lose. It was an actual thing that happened. Right, right. But it is because he was ready to lose that he had the extra ability to win. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't that he was ready to lose; is that he was accepted it. He accepted that that is a possibility, but he he was going to fight to not make that happen. But I also thought it was interesting that he just kind of like fucks off because like it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it never says whether or not he, he goes to uh, Otsu or if he just kind of like leaves. I mean, he, he finally said out loud that he was going, he, like he was her husband. So I, I think that fighting Kojiro was his final act, his final thing to perfecting who he wanted to be as a samurai. And, and now maybe he can go start another portion of his life with Otsu. But like, of course it leaves it up to your own interpretation. Yeah. Because who knows, maybe he was ambushed by Kojiro's supporters on his way back. Could have been. Although nobody would have known because they were on that one island. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was a really great way to end it. And uh, like he finally gets to meet up with Otsu like right at the ending. Because um, he's only met up with her like one more time before that. 
and this is like a 50-hour book of basically just Otsu chasing him the whole time. Yeah. And like chimps misses and like all these things. And like, it's like, oh my gosh. And then finally, you know, they get this moment together. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny too. The, uh, the drying pole. I'm pretty sure there's a weapon in like the original Dark Souls that's basically the drying pole. Cause it's, uh, oh, fuck, I can't I remember. I mean, isn't it also basically in the other Dark Souls? Yeah, I think so, but it's something pole, and it's like a, just a really long, really long sword. Washing, washing pole. Washing pole, that's it, yeah. yeah. I, I remember it's getting that. the other Dark Souls. I thought of that when I, when I was thinking about his weapon. I was like, you know, I bet you that's the same thing. I bet you that's that, it's just like a reference to that in Dark Souls. Uh, that was just something Could funny. Be. And I was like, why is that not in Sekiro? But yeah, then it's like pulls in Dark Souls 3. Yeah, yeah. But then I was like, well, Sekiro kind of just has this one weapon. So I guess that makes sense, but... Uh, I, I yeah, yeah I thought yeah. It... washing pull is a weapon in Dark Souls three a stunning unusually long katana forged in Eastern land. Yeah, see that's I think that's totally a reference to that. That's really cool. Um, I yeah I loved it. I I I took a little while to warm up to it, and for a while I was like, man, I don't really like it. It's boring. Um, and it was in the beginning. It is a little bit of a slow burn to start off. Um, but this is something I would totally listen to again. I think it's. I think that slow burn really helps uh, for the ending and stuff too, because you know you really get the character development the whole time. Like the whole book is nothing but character development. And you kind of need that beginning to see kind of like how crazy and wild he was before, and then um, same with like Matahachi, like see how they go from being what they were to like like what they go through, and then being what they become. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think it's. I think it is important, and I mean, we have to. That's what makes it really impressive because it was released serially. I mean, I, I guess this guy, this Yoshikawa, is just a amazing planner and like outliner for books. Because Jesus, if this, if he was writing it and releasing it as it comes, like how the Conan novels were, he just released them. You know, he, he made them and then published them in the magazine. Uh, if it's just like that, this guy had everything planned out like from the beginning, and it was a big, a big undertaking, and it it really paid out in the end. Um, and I, I'm glad we I'm glad we read it, even though I I took like forever to finish the fucker. Um, I'm glad that you chose this one because it's I, I I think it's a great book. I think it was a lot of fun, and it was excellently translated. Like it was so so perfect um, in the translation. Yeah, I think the uh, the um, narrator for me also really helped sell the book, uh, just because like he was able to you know pronounce all these words. Um, because I've tried to listen to other books about like you know Japanese stuff, and they just kind of like say the word, they don't like give it any kind of like pronunciation, and it's like eh, it's the narrator really matters, especially when you're like yeah. trying to say foreign words yeah and because this guy was like part japanese you know he could he, he really like gave it that um uh we could you know we could hear the japanese in it yeah as well as because you know it, it is in english but like it wasn't it didn't feel like a bad translation especially because the narrator was really good with it yeah 
Yeah, I agree. Um, overall, I think it is. it was a great experience. Um, I think I do, if I were to rank it, I think I would put it above the Genghis Khan one. Although I really, it's kind of hard to, you know, yeah. do that because that one was, I guess it could be historical it's, fiction. It's, yeah, so yeah, sort of just a interpretation of, you know, the best source that we have, which could, yeah. you know, probably is historical fiction. It probably is slightly fictitious, yeah. But yeah. I, I think this is a. I think I like this one a little bit more. Um, both great dudes, though. I mean, awesome, awesome strengths of of will from both main characters of the two books that we've done for the Drunken Tome so far. Um, uh-huh. I think this is probably my favorite one yet, though. I really liked it. Um, it took a little while to get around to, and you guys could see that when I was messaging, and I was like, "Fuck, dude!" And <clears throat> I would have had it done on time if I wouldn't have had a couple things come up but it's also because it was so slow in the beginning that i just couldn't bring myself right to do it but yeah. it definitely paid off um great storytelling excellent character development solid yeah all right so final thoughts i mean i guess you guys kind of gave them already uh except for cameron um i enjoyed it no it was a good book um are we going to be ranking the books or we can i don't know yeah you you don't don't, have to i don't think that uh, we really can just because like the different genres we've already picked so far um you know we got dune with science fiction uh historical fiction with this one and then like uh, yeah kind of a documentary style book with uh the genghis khan one yeah that's true would you say like a lot of like the entertainment slash like anime coming out of Japan pulls references from this all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is for there sure. like a Miyamoto Musashi anime out there, Craig? Um, there, I don't know. There is a, know there, a show. There are, there are movies yeah. about him. In fact, I have the, the trilogy about him that covers the exact things that happened in the book. And I think it's based on the book actually. Um, it's just called the uh, the Samurai Trilogy, and it ends the same way. It's got like pretty much everything in there. Is it, is it stylized? Like, is it kind of dope? Like, blood spray and stuff. What? Is it like stylized, like a Japanese film? Um, kind of. Yeah, it's just basically an old samurai movie. It, it's they're black and white. Um, it's by the, it's like that same guy who's in like every samurai movie. Hold on, let me look at the... Well, that's awesome. I don't see color, so it doesn't matter if it's black or white. We could totally watch it sometime. Um, let's see. Yeah, so the for the first movie, it's just like him becoming Musashi Miyamoto. Then the second movie is uh, Ichijo Temple, where he, like, kills all those dudes. And then um, Samurai 3 is Duel at Genryu Island. Nice. So there are other medias to consume for this guy. Man, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna have to pick this up. Then, if it's as good as you guys were saying, I'm gonna have to actually read it. Yeah, you should uh, definitely do it. the uh, The audible version is insanely good. Yeah, um, I would highly recommend it. Let's check it out. Yeah, I agree. So next up, guys, Dune. Um, 
Dune is like Star Wars in a lot of ways, where it's science fiction environment, but kind of a lot of fantasy elements to the storytelling. So I'm well, excited. Like, what's great is is George Lucas took like episode like four or whatever A New Hope is uh, is almost is like based off of Dune. Like he took so much inspiration from Dune, and he got to like talk to Gary Herbert, and so like I think that's rad because like what it seems like so far is Dune is the sci-fi equivalent of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it kind of seems that way, yeah. It's Frank Herbert. So Star Star Wars (laughs) is basically just a combination of Dune and Hidden Fortress. It's... (laughs) It takes some, yeah, some, uh... Some, some... I guess he said it's, like, I I wouldn't say based entirely, but he takes a lot of his, like, ideas where he's like, oh, this would be cool because of this. Well, he took a lot of ideas from Hidden Fortress, too, um, including, like, the idea of, uh, R2-D2 and um, C-3PO, uh, C-3PO uh, being, like, the guys that you kind of, like, see everything from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, with Dune, um, I've seen a lot of chatter in our Discord about the Audible version. Um, yeah, it's it's really good at times, and then at other times, it's really bizarre. Uh, so, I don't know why they did what they did. Yeah. Who's the narrator for it? Well, it depends. Yeah. It it plays, like, some chapters play like a radio drama, and then others it's random. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, it's weird. And they're all really good. It's all well done. It's just weird. I wish they would do more with the voices, because I've actually, all, like, the voice actors they've gotten for the people. Yeah, the the voice acting is really good in it, but then the other half they've got like just just someone reading it, which is he's good too. He's really good at doing it. It's just no, kind of if, if disjointed. They kept with, him, with him narrating and everyone, the voice actors actually doing their parts, I think it would be a fan like way better. Yeah, I like the music and stuff in the background and the sound effects a lot, though. I think yeah. that's that makes it a real experience. So. Oh. I guess, uh, I guess the, there's a Dune movie coming out this year. So I was looking at the cast list, and I'm like pretty stoked on it. Yeah, I've heard that they're they're making a comeback. Ever since Game of Thrones, the show got so big, everyone's like, oh, let's let's do it for everything. I mean, like, if it's good, I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, the music is from Hans Zimmer, and that that's no surprise. No, and that's fantastic because he's great. His stuff's amazing. You know the note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got Oscar Isaac. Oh, Jason Momoa. Damn. I don't know how he's gonna play that guy. That's that's interesting. <laughs> I'm excited for Oscar Isaac as the Leto Atreides. Like that for me is like awesome. I think that's great casting. I. Oh man, yeah. This this looks pretty sweet. The cast for it is yeah. pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm interested to see. Wasn't well, uh, there already a movie for Dune? There's, there is, um, but it doesn't follow the book as well, from what I've heard. Like it's more of his vision, um, and then Gary Herbert's. So I'm not really sure. Mm. Yeah. The one I'm like interested the most in that I'm like have the most reservations on is uh. Sorry, I gotta get loaded up. Is uh, what's his name? Is Dave Bautista is a Glossy, uh, what's his name? Glossy Raban. I don't know how that's going to go. Oh, yeah. But Stellan Skarsgård is, uh, Vladimir Harkonnen is going to be really good. I think he's he's a good actor. He'll be good as the villain. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I'm like halfway through that book already. I was like, eh, you know, I'll try it out. And then I was just like, ugh. I am as well. I took time off. Off the, off the start of the one thing, though, is like, I guess they changed up um, Leah Kynes' uh, everything. It, it's a woman in the movie instead of a man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That seems like it looks like the only thing they've changed. Yeah. Well, I, I, we'll have to watch it, I guess, once we once we read it. Um, yeah, I'm like halfway through. Craig hasn't started. I guess, Zach, it sounds like you've read it a few times, or at least before. No, this is the first time I've read it. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So I have eight hours left as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I don't get to listen to work, unfortunately. Like, there's too much going on. I wish I could, but... Yeah. 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 Well, we'll uh, get that review to you guys whenever we can, I guess. We're trying to keep these to one a month, which means we kind of have to catch up a teeny bit because we've only got – this is our second one, and it's the end of the third month. So we'll have to play catch up a teeny to make these work. But I think I think with Dune, hopefully you guys will enjoy it and be as into it as I have been so far, and we can kind of get that one – it's one that, like, it's not 51 hours, <laughs> like Musashi. So it's yeah, that- it's only 24. I've, I've seen how long it is. I should be able yeah. to get it done in, like, two days. So it yeah. be bad. Yeah, and I hopefully you guys like it enough to do that, because I, I think so far I think it's pretty good. And I like the desert, uh, like, imagery. <laughs> I think it's always been really cool. Great. Yeah. Um, Would, uh, do you have a pick yet, Cam Camp, for your book? I don't. I'm gonna have to think about it. Okay. Would you guys be opposed to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? What are those? No. I could read that again. Let's see how long that is before I. <laughs> it's a long one, Cam. Cam. It's a long one. I have it. Hold on. I'll look it up. God damn you, people! Is it? It is a thirty-two hour book. Yeah. You said 32? Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not, like, obscene. I will... It is extremely boring. (laughs) It's the most interesting, boring book is the way I like to talk about it. Yeah, I know. That's what you told me years ago, and I don't know why you've reread it, if that's the case. I haven't reread it yet. Oh, okay. Okay. But I enjoyed it. I have reread it. Uh, it's because one of the characters, like one of the big aspects of his character, is that he's extremely boring, and it talks about that. It talks about how boring this guy is. Mm. So it's it's uh, it's it's how like if you would imagine how you know affluent English society um, comes up against you know a very logical, very reserved now comes up with something fanciful like magic and stuff like that. And then yeah, how it starts out like, with how these old English magicians only talk about magic because it'd be uncouth if they were to actually practice magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's like this old man who's really boring, but he can do magic. So it's like it's interesting. And then you have like this younger guy who can also do magic, and he's more exciting. So you have like exciting bits, and then you have like the more and then you just have interesting bits with, that are kind of boring because it's like this old guy who's kind of an asshole. <laughs> All right. I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do. 
No, because yeah, I know I know the the beginning part you're gonna think is very dry because it's so, supposed to be very dry. Um, so I don't know if you'd want to go through that. I mean, I like dry humor, so I mean, if it is, I'll laugh. But um, and then I might I might pick a book that I haven't read. I think that'd be better. All right. Well, uh, let us know. I guess. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with with us for this episode of Drunken Tomes, uh, episode two. Um, Musashi. So, guys, if you haven't picked it up, pick it up. Audible. AudibleTrial.com forward slash NudeCloud. You can pick it up there for free. For free. 51 hours of free entertainment. For free. For free. So, guys, go over there. Get the book. Listen in. Pick up Dune. Listen or read that as well for our next Drunken Tomes episode. And until then, guys, we'll see you later.